Today's reading is from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're nearing the end of our walk through First and Second Peter. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, uh, the Pew Bible in front of you, you turn to page 1019 on that. You'll want to have it open. Uh, if you've got your own, be sure to be turned to it. Uh, last week, we looked at chapter 2, that really difficult passage in which uh, Peter really talked about the future of the false teachers, what awaits those who, uh, who, who would preach a different gospel, those who would well, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, the false teachers that exist even now, uh, promoting the, the health and wealth or the prosperity or the word of faith movement, uh, false gospel. And, and, and Peter pointed last week to the ultimate, you know, destruction that awaits those who would mislead or lead astray um, God's own into that kind of false teaching. Well, here, Peter is looking to the future. I mean, he's, he's still warning the readers to be aware, to be careful concerning the false teachers. But here he's not so much like he did in chapter 2 talking about the future of the false teachers. He's talking about our future. And he's calling us to be considering and thinking about that reality. He points to the coming day of the Lord, the day in which Jesus Christ will return. And his emphasis in this passage is going to be on the certainty of that day. It is coming. It will come. And so therefore, how ought we to live now in light of the reality that is coming? What kind of people ought we to be while we wait? Waiting can be hard. It can be very hard to wait for any number of things, but it is certainly hard 
as a Christian living in a broken world, as a broken person, in broken relationships, it's hard to wait. It's hard to look to that day and wait patiently for the Lord. We sang the, the song, I will wait for you, I will wait for you till my soul is satisfied. And it is so hard to wait. The scoffers that Peter was writing about in this section, they were saying, you know what, things are never going to change. The end is never going to come. And sometimes it feels as though things are never going to change and the end is never going to come. You, you read through the, the Psalms, right? And we see ourselves so much in the Psalms. We experience that to some degree. The righteous suffer. The wicked prosper. We still struggle with our own sin and imperfections. We, we feel the weight of that when we think about our own life and our own death. You know, with the psalmist, we flood our bed with tears and we groan and we ask, when will things change? When will Jesus come? When will his dwelling place finally be with man? And sometimes it feels as though the answer may, in fact, be never. And so we struggle. We end up feeling hopeless we end up in despair. And Peter knew that his readers were going to feel that way. And we do, even down to this very day as we read this letter. So he wrote this letter to remind them and to remind us of what's true. We saw that right off the bat in verse 1. I, I, I write to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder. He said that both Second Peter and First Peter, the first letter that he wrote, were given in order to remind them. We, we talked about this back at the beginning of of 2 Peter in chapter 1, where he talks about his desire to remind them of all these things that are true. Why did he feel the need to remind them? Was it because they had intellectually forgotten? And, and the answer, of course, is no. If you had sat down with them, just as if people were to sit down with, with many of you, you would be able to articulate these things. You would be able to, to tell them these things that are true about the gospel. The issue wasn't so much intellectual forgetfulness as it was a failure to call these things to mind. A failure to, the, to remember in the sense of as we, as we face struggle, as we face hardship in this life, we, we feel as though we're not tethered to anything that's real and true. And it's at that precise moment that we need to recall these things, call them to mind in order to face the storms that we face. There's a great, I mean, there's any number of illustrations from Scripture, but I thought this week as, as I was preparing this about that great passage in Lamentations 3. Lamentations 3, 21 to 23, you're familiar with it, I'm sure. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so you can, you can hear it right? You can hear the, the author Lamentation saying, okay, all this stuff is happening, but this I call to mind. I'm going to remember, I'm going to deliberately call to mind these things that are true. Go back later today and reread Lamentations 3. I mean, everything that the author is writing there concerning what's happening in his life. Let me just read some of it. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven. Who's the he? God. God has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand. Again and again 
the whole day long, jumping down. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. Here is a, a man who's writing who is feeling himself to be under the very uh, disciplining hand of God. And yet even then, he says, I'm going to call this to mind concerning this God. His steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Tomorrow's a new day. Great is thy faithfulness. Peter's after the same thing for his readers. Then and now. He wants to equip them. He wants to equip us to call things to mind, to remember. So there are three things he's going to encourage us to do in this passage. First, remember the Word of God. Remember the Word God has spoken. That's the first point. Remember the Word God has spoken. Remember, secondly, the world that God has promised. And then third, Peter's going to tell us, live the life of the future now. So remember the Word God has spoken. Remember the world that God has promised and then live the life of the future now. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you'd be with us now. We pray that by your Spirit, you would open our eyes that we might see the great and glorious truths that are here in this passage. We know your Word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray that you would use your skilled hand to cut deep, that we might ultimately rejoice and be glad in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So remember the word God has spoken. Peter is going to tell us here about some things that the scoffers were saying and some things that the scoffers were overlooking. So let's look at verses 3 and 4 first. Take a look there. Peter writes, knowing this, that first of all, first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So what were they saying? These are people who would identify themselves as Christians, right? They're, they're saying, I'm, we're part of you. We're now teaching you. And what we're saying is that just step back for a second and will you acknowledge that nothing has changed? I mean, Jesus said he was going to come back. We expected him to come back suddenly at any moment. He didn't come back. And so he's not going to come back. It's all a hoax. In fact, everything that we've read in the prophets from Genesis moving forward, I mean, nothing's changed. It's all a hoax. What were they overlooking? Peter tells us in verses 5 through 7. Take a look there. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. What did they overlook? They overlooked the fact that every word God speaks comes to pass. Everything God speaks come to pass. By the word, by his word, the world came into existence. By the power of his word, the flood came to purify the earth from sin. And by the power of his word, the fire of judgment will come to purify. 
And so therefore, the day of the Lord will surely come. Now, Peter says it will come like a thief, right? They were expecting, and he's quoting Jesus there. Jesus said in Luke 12, 39, but know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So Peter's point is, you know, yeah, Jesus is going to come like a thief. He didn't say what time he was coming. I mean, what thief does that? Jesus didn't say what time he was coming, only that he would come at an unexpected time. But Jesus will come. He will have the last word. The future belongs to him. I was listening to a, a sermon by Dick Lucas that he gave in 1996, which feels like a long time ago. Some of you weren't born then, right? 1996, Dick Lucas gives this sermon. He's, re, he's reflecting on the fact that in 1990, Dick Lucas, an uh, Anglican guy, was pastor of All Souls Church in London, right? So he's reflecting on the fact that in 1997, sovereignty of Hong Kong is going to shift from England, from British rule, to China, to Chinese rule. And he was reflecting on the fact that then in 1996, all, everything that was happening in Hong Kong, all the decisions that were being made, all the things that people were thinking were all centered on that reality that in a sense, China was coming. Their sovereignty was going to be enacted and China ultimately would have the last word over what happened in Hong Kong. And what Lucas said, and I think what we need to reflect on is the fact that Jesus is coming. Right? He is sovereign over this world in the same way that China is and was about to become sovereign over Hong Kong. Every decision that was being made, every action that was being you know, accomplished, every, every thought that was being thunk in Hong Kong in 1996 was all in view of the fact that things are about to change. And what Peter is saying is we need to be thinking and acting that way now. Jesus Christ is coming the point is not, hey, it might be tomorrow. The point is the future belongs to Jesus. And he will have the last word. So the scoffers were saying Jesus will never come. Nothing's ever going to change. They were overlooking the fact that every word of God comes to pass. What about you? What about us? The scoffers were saying things will never change. Does your heart ever say you will never change? Does it? You know, John talks about the fact in 1 John that our hearts at times condemn us. It's another way of talking about scoffing, about our, our very hearts saying, you know what, Mark, you're never going to change. Change will never come. Do you sometimes feel that way? Do you believe that every word that God has spoken concerning you will come to pass? That when we read in the Bible that, that God rejoices over his own with singing, that that includes you. That when you read, for instance, Paul say in Philippians chapter 1, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. 
that that word that God has spoken is a word that he's spoken over you. Change will come, not because of your effort, but because of what God accomplished through his son Jesus Christ on the cross. Your redemption has been secured. You know, when you feel as if you can't hold on anymore, like, like I'm going to lose my grip on God, oh my, please remember that God will never lose his grip on you. It's a word that God has spoken over you if your hope is in Jesus Christ. So when your heart condemns you, 1 John, John says to us there, 1 John 3.20, God is greater than your heart. When your hearts condemn you, God is greater than your heart. There is a word from God that has been spoken that will surely come to pass concerning you. Remember the word that God has spoken. Secondly, remember the world that God has promised. Remember the world that God has promised. Now, now we're going to get into this thorny passage here and especially in verses 10 through 13, but we saw it back in verse 7, and you see it down again uh, in verse 12. Let me just read verses 10 and 13, 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And again, back in verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment. All right, what what do we make of this? What's Peter saying here? I don't think that Peter is saying that the literal heavens and earth, that that the material world, the very elements of creation are going to be consumed, burned up, annihilated, if you will, by fire. Now, there's some good reasons to arrive at that conclusion from what Peter says, and there's some good reasons to arrive at that conclusion from what the Bible says as a whole. And if this were a Sunday school class and we had an hour, we could dive deep on this. But we aren't and we can't, so we won't. All right? But let's take a look first at what Peter is saying here. And and the first thing to notice is that in the Bible, when you read about the the end, Jesus Christ returning, what's going to happen to the earth, this is the only place where you read about fire, destruction via fire. So, we, we need to kind of isolate that and recognize that what Peter is saying is something that you don't see elsewhere in Scripture concerning the end of all things, the return of Christ. Uh, but what do we see? Well, in verse 10, that word that is translated burned up, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, it's actually a word that has to do with the idea of smelting by fire or purifying by fire, not annihilating by fire. So you got that little clue right there in verse 10. But you've also got this, you know, within the context, he's talking about the flood, right? He's, he's making an analogy between the flood that happened in the time of Noah and the fire that's going to come at the last day when Jesus Christ returns. Well, what happened with the flood? The flood was not the annihilation of all creation. 
It was the cleansing of this present creation, the purification, if you will, of this present creation from the sin that covered the earth at that time. You know, the, the dove that Noah saw on the ark was not a newly created dove ex nihilo by God's voice. It was a dove. The mountain on which Noah landed was a mountain that existed prior to the flood. It, it wasn't that, the, that there was a new creation in the sense of a new cosmos spoken into being that didn't exist before at the time of the flood. It was a cleansing. And Peter's making a comparison between what's going to happen at the last day to what happened then. Not a destruction and a recreation from nothing but a cleansing of the creation that was already there. And then don't forget how Peter uses fire, right? That, that imagery of fire in 1 Peter, the first letter he wrote to them in chapter 1 and in chapter 4, he talked about the refiner's fire, purifying our faith, not annihilating us, but purifying us. So within the passage, there's good reasons to, to believe that Peter's not talking about the annihilation of all things, but of the purification of all things, using an image that was very familiar to him and, and fit the flow of what he was doing with these two letters. But then take a look at the Bible as a whole. Do we have this picture of the entire created order being annihilated and then something new being created? And, or do we have the picture of that which God has created being redeemed, restored, and renewed, and probably know where I'm going. It's the latter, not the former. Think back with me to, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, God in uh, pronouncing the curse to Adam says, cursed is the ground because of you. So here's Adam, here's Eve, there's this this, this world that God has created good for them to till and garden and produce things from, and they sin. And it's not just Adam and Eve that are feeling the effects of the fall. All creation feels the effect of the fall. Cursed is the ground because of you. You have this promise that, that, that God makes that the the, the seed of the woman, the, the son of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And so with that promise of a redeemer will come the promise of the renewal of all creation. Those two things are linked together in Romans chapter 8. Take, take a look. If, if you want to flip over to Romans chapter 8, go for it. If not, I'll just read this passage to you from Romans 8. Verse 18 and following, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Redemption of mankind, redemption of the created order, bound up together. And so even in the Old Testament, you have these anticipations of that very thing happening. 
call to worship, we used Psalm 96 for the call to worship. Let me just read a, a reference there. It was, a, it was in your bulletin. You can take a look. You'll get to it before I do. Here we go. Psalm 96, verses 11 through 13. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. So again, this idea of judgment there, the fact that as God the judge comes, all things will be set right. Peter would say that the wicked will be destroyed, there will be judgment upon sin, and the earth will be cleansed from the effects of sin, and all things will be set right. Jesus said in Revelation, behold, I make all things new. It's the fulfillment of what the psalmist in Psalm 96, what the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 65, and so many other Old Testament references point toward. That great vision that you get in Revelation 21 the new heavens, and the new earth. You read the first four verses of Revelation 21 to you. And keep in mind, when it says what I'm about to read, that the sea is no more, Revelation's full of symbolism. The sea has to do with, with the, again, getting back to the effect of sin, chaos in the world. The, that will be no more. Even within Revelation, it talks about um, the, the forces of evil rising up from the sea. John is saying here, that will be no more. He's not saying there will be no sea in the new creation. Don't miss what he is saying. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You know, there's gonna be continuity between the present created order and the new creation. There's going to be a lot of discontinuity. We got to take that from 1 Peter and other passages in Scripture. What we can't do is get hung up on trying to predict or anticipate exactly what the new created order is going to be like because the Bible doesn't focus on that. The Bible focuses on what I just read from Revelation 21. God making his dwelling place with his people. Every tear being wiped from every eye. No more sin, sickness, suffering, or death. The joy of being in God's presence forevermore. That end will come. And so Peter would say, remember the world that God has promised. That world where righteousness dwells. There at the end of the passage in verse 13. New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Remember the word God has spoken. Remember, secondly, the world that God has promised. And then third, live the life of the future now. 
we get that in this passage. Take a look at verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? In other words, Peter is saying, in the same way that Paul will say, like first half of Ephesians, first half of Galatians, right? All these letters in which Paul reflects, first of all, on what's true, mainly concerning what Jesus Christ did at the cross. Here's what's true. How then ought we to live? What ought we to do in light of what's true? Peter's simply saying, let's look to the future. Let's think about what Jesus Christ is going to do. How ought we to live now in light of that future? And what Peter emphasizes here is that we live lives of holiness, godliness, and then I think picking up from verse 8, also hope. Hope. Holiness and godliness. Peter's already talked about godliness back in, in chapter 1. We talked about that a few weeks ago. What does it mean to be godly? What we saw then is simply to have your life oriented entirely toward God. A life that's devoted to God. What is holiness? Holiness is being set apart for God. What's Peter saying here at the end of this uh, passage in verse 11? In light of the world that is coming, in light of the fact that every word that God has spoken will come to pass, live now in a way that you are set apart for God and completely devoted to God. Holiness and godliness. And then I think finally, hope. Take a look back up at verse 8. Uh, I skipped verse 9. Don't think I'm trying to duck something, right? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What does that mean? Come back next week. Because <laughs> we're going to, Paul's going to talk about, or Peter's going to talk about patience in verse 15. So I'm going to link those two together and we'll touch on that next week. But for now, just look at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Peter's not saying one day equals 1,000 years. So just do the math. It's not what he's saying. His point is time is irrelevant to a God who stands out of time. God, God's eternal. So be patient. And I would say be hopeful as you wait. Because the God it, who promised is faithful. He will see to it. He will come. He will come like a thief at an unexpected time. But he will come. He will come, I would say, just in time. And so Peter tells us this in verse 8, I think ultimately to bolster our hope. There's a song that we, that we like to sing around here. I think we just sang it last Sunday. John Newton wrote this hymn, first verse, pensive, doubting, fearful heart. Hear what Christ the Savior says. Every word should joy impart. Change thy mourning into praise. Yes, he speaks and speaks to thee. May he help thee to believe. Then thou presently wilt see thou hast little cause to grieve. And then the fourth final verse Though afflicted, tempest-tossed, comfortless a while thou art, do not think thou canst be lost. Thou art graven on my heart. All thy walls I will repair. Thou shalt be rebuilt anew, and in thee it shall appear what a God of love can, and Newton would agree, will do. 
for all who are his own. So what is Peter saying? Let's wrap it up. Peter's saying, remember the future. Remember the world God promised. Remember how we taught you to live now in light of it. Despite what the scoffers are saying, Jesus will return to judge. His judgment will mean the destruction of the ungodly, but it will mean the renewal of all creation in the same way that all things were made new after the flood. I know it doesn't feel that way, Peter would say. I know it feels like things aren't ever going to change, but take heart your brothers and sisters. Live a holy, and a godly, and a hopeful life as you wait for that day to dawn. There's an article I posted uh, to Facebook yesterday, our Facebook page, Remember the Future by Ronnie Martin. Let me read a quote from that and we'll close. Martin writes, we often forget, don't we? We forget that at one time our hearts were filled with the bright hope of Christ returning in glory to his good and faithful servants. Indeed, the sheer wonder of this reunion will cause all fears to subside, all pain to vanish, and all tears to dry as our king's face becomes visible to all who have longed for his appearing. In the meantime, may we encourage one another daily to remember that future and to let it galvanize and propel us in the present. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we live this day, dealing with the things that are going to be coming at us later today or this week, enjoying a, a respite at least for a moment from what's preceded this hour that we've had together, well, Lord, would you help us to lift up our eyes toward that far horizon? to look with eager expectation for the return of your son, Jesus Christ, and to live now in light of that glorious future, to live the life of heaven now, because by your, experience, by your spirit, we get an experience of that life here and now. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.